Okay, so do me a favor this morning. It's a little larger crowd, but we need to do it this way. I'm going to spend another week right here on this stool. I just got my, my evangelistic guy out anyway. All right, I'm going to stay right here. And we're going to burn through a passage of Scripture that, listen, preachers don't stop on. In fact, normally I Google and see kind of what's been said and how much is out there. Nobody, nobody preaches on what I'm about to talk about. But as Steve will attest, and he's back to hear it again, and I'm sorry, there's so much here, but it's got to be taught small groupy. So I'm going to ask questions. I expect answers. I'm going to share like right in the middle of this morning's message. God revealed something to me, and it's my favorite part of the message now, and it was not planned. So fun. Um, so I'm going to read. And In fact, we were missing 10 verses this morning, but we didn't need them. So, you know, because I, I knew the last one, and that was all that mattered in this. So I, I, and, and you're going to, when we read today, I always encourage you to, to read the scriptures and make sure I'm telling you the truth. But we don't need to audibly hear, and you're going to see why. In just a minute, you're going to go, oh, I know what he's doing when I skip over all of these um, slides. So let's read, and then what we're going to do is we're just going to break down. We're going to Q&A, not really. I'm going to ask and answer, but if you have one, raise your hand. And Bev, be, be careful. I I'm channeling my inner Bev today because Bev's my Q&A. She's my, I got a question. She keeps me on my toes, you know. We talk about whether the flood happened once or could it have happened before. Uh, we talk about dinosaurs and, and, you know, whether or not Adam had a belly button. Did you ever think about that? That's actually going to come into the sermon today. He didn't have an umbilical cord. He wasn't born like that. I, just a question. Anyway, so we're going to ask some fun questions today, but we're going to read first. So things happen, too, that are so intellectually profound. I'm like proud of Luke as I work through this. I'm like, you are a stud, all right, as I, as I, as I work through this today. So here we go. This is just going to be fun, small group teaching, all right? Hi to all of you in Facebook planet. All right, here we go. When all of the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove. And a video came from heaven. You, a video? Voice. <laughs> it's like, I don't know that version. And a voice, for those of us who have not been hooked on phonics, came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, comma, so it was thought, comma, important for later, of Joseph, so physical earthly father, son of Heli, son of Mathet, son of Levi, son of Melchi. Are y'all catching on? <laughs> All right. All right, wait, wait, wait. All right. Son of Canaan, son of Arphaxad, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Mahalalel. I did that right. Son of Kenan, son of Enosh, son of Seth. Here's the part we needed to get to, son of Adam, 
Son of God. Okay? So, what we have there is the second genealogy of Jesus, or lineage. We're going to get to its importance. We're going to get to what we can learn from it. Again, nobody preaches through that, but there's some rich stuff there. Lots of questions to be answered there. We're going to go back here, all right? I need to ask you a question in order to, to, to make something cool work, all right? At the very end of last week, do you remember, first, who we were talking about? Anybody? Who have we been talking about? What's the character? John the Baptist, all right? And the last thing that happens, well, the last thing that happens to John the Baptist, all right, is that he has his head removed and brought on a plate. But the last verse of the last section, verses 19 and 20, what happens to John the Baptist? He's taken to prison. Yes, okay? So the story of John the Baptist ends with him going to prison, and then the next verse is, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. What's the problem here? Wait, John's in prison. But who baptized Jesus? So is that a contradiction? Why not? And everybody stares at me hoping that I have the answer. He was baptized before he was in prison, so why did Luke tell the story out of chronological order? To make a point that I've already made, but he literarily does it here. Listen, remember when we talked about the fact that in the Old Testament, God speaks through prophets. In the Gospels, God speaks through Jesus. And in the Acts and on to all eternity, God speaks through the Holy Spirit. But I told you that John was an oddity because John appears in the Gospels, but he is the final or the last Old Testament style prophet, all right? And I told you that John's calling was to pave the way for what? Jesus and his ministry. Here's why this happens. John's ministry literarily ends in verse 20. Jesus' ministry begins in verse 21. So John is no longer the character. Jesus is the character. John is a part. The old is finished now, and now we begin the Emmanuel versus the prophetic. John's still a part, so that's why we go back. This is not John's story to preface Jesus. This is Jesus' story that includes John, all right? Very cool part one. Now, here's what happens next. While the people were being baptized and John was doing this, Jesus was baptized too. So at the culmination, at the celebration, at the giant biggest of all parties where all of the teaching of a repentance, baptism of repentance goes out and this comes into its physical form, all of these people were baptized. And this simply says Jesus was baptized too. Now, in the other account of Jesus' baptism, there is way more conversation between Jesus and John because 
Luke is focusing on Jesus, and Matthew is focusing on the relationship between Jesus and John. And we find there, hey, I can't baptize you. Well, you have to baptize me because you're the one that's supposed to baptize me. And they're talking about that relationship and who God is, all right? Here, it is simply the culmination of this man's ministry, and Jesus is baptized as a part of that. Why did Jesus, though, need to be baptized if there was a Messiah coming who was going to be sinless? And he explains in the other passage that he's not baptized because baptism is what he needs. He's baptized because he came to show the world. He is the God become flesh, and he is showing us the way. He's not telling us the way. He's showing us the way. So he is baptized as an example for us to follow. Now, here's the cool part. Here's what happens at his baptism, which is, I've already told you what, this marks the beginning of what? His ministry. Right, it's even titled there in your Bibles. At the beginning of his ministry, he's baptized as an example, and I want you to see what happens and what's in it that you and I have missed <laughs> when we read this before. All right? And as he was praying. So I don't know if it's like John takes him and gets ready to do this like I would some of you and put him under, and he's going, I don't, you know, he's praying right then, or if Luke just wants to include that because in Luke's gospel, we find the most praying Jesus. It doesn't mean that Jesus prayed more in Luke than he did in Matthew. That's not possible. They're all stories of the same life of Jesus. But Luke calls out his prayers more times than any of the other gospels. Five, six, seven, eight different times. We have a very pointed effort for Luke to call out the fact that before he did this, he prayed. Before he went here, he prayed. And that is what Luke wants you to hear. Even before his baptism, he prayed. Now, here's what happened when he prayed. Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Several questions here, all right? When heaven opens up, why is that? When the voice speaks, who is that and why is that? And why is it not just light? Or why is it not just a voice? Why is it a dove? You're like, huh? Never really thought about it. Just took it for granted. No, there's meat here. All right, nugget time. Here we go. Number one, you need to know about the crossover from the type of ministry in the Old Testament to the type of ministry in the New Testament. When I say God speaks through prophets, there's something important there because the prophets were the teachers and the people followed their prophets and or, Jesus was a prophet, priest, and king, that's important, but he was also their teacher. He, when he starts his ministry, he's going to begin teaching them or the Jewish people called that something else. He was going to be their rabbi. Now, if you are going to be a rabbi in the Old Testament, there's a couple things that you need to understand. When you pick a church, okay, this is to bring this to modern, when you choose a church, it is the hope that you go in, that you meet the people, that you feel their presence, that you understand what they believe in and what they don't believe in, and then that you go and you meet the people somewhere else and you understand what they believe in and why they believe in it, and you choose them based on how they interpret and believe and play out their life in Jesus Christ, right? That's what we should be doing, prayerfully considering all those things. Well, when a Talmud or the Talmudim, the group, when a disciple in the Old Testament chose a rabbi, they also looked at their belief system, how they interpreted Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So whatever the rabbi believed had a very special term. All right, so 
Let's jump to a different verse that all of you know, all right? My yoke is easy and my burden is light, okay? Now, when I say those words, most of you either do one of two things. You go, okay, I'm going to need to know what a yoke is, and it is not the yellow part of an egg, right? Too many chicken farmers in here. That's not what we're talking about. It's not yolk. It's yolk, all right? Second, if you do know what it is, then you think about the large wooden thing that you put on the cattle or the ox or the steer so that they might move together. That's why the Bible says do not be unequally yoked one with another because if you're yoked to someone who wants to go in a different direction from you, it is not possible. And let me be clear, that verse has nothing to do with race. Oh my goodness, abused, abused, and, and, and used over the years when I was younger to uh, affirm not big. No, that verse has nothing. I'm, I'm planting my foot. Nothing to do with race. Everything to do with Jesus and not Jesus. Christianity and paganism, all right? Okay, let's just be clear. That wasn't even in the message, but we need to be clear about that. Now, there is another definition, though, for yoke. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's not talking about an oxen yoke. The list of interpretations and rules and regulations that a rabbi had was called his yoke. So if this rabbi said, hey, when, when, when it says don't work on the Sabbath, what, what we feel like that means is 10 steps or more. We feel like it means 30 steps or more. We feel like it means that starts at 6 a.m. and ends at 6 p.m. Or we feel like it means the whole 24 hours. You see what I'm saying? Baptists do this, Methodists do this, Presbyterians. It was the same thing. But here's the deal. Their list of things that they taught you to follow was called a yoke. This is getting real right here. So Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, does that mean his yoke is without rules and regulations? No, that is what lazy Christians believe. That he does, you know, that you don't have to follow anything because Jesus saves in grace. And Paul says, by no means. We have to balance the two, not legalism, not license. We have to balance it. But here's what it does mean. I'm not just going to lay out the rules for you. I'm going to walk them out, talk them out, show you how, and be there when you fall. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Why is his yoke easy and his burden light? Because he's carrying it with you. Come on. So, when you're going to have your yoke and become a rabbi, Steve, our resident Old Testament person, what is it that you need? If you're going to be a rabbi accepted by the people, you need something. What is it? You need the testimony? The testimony of two witnesses. So you would need, and even Jewish people today, rabbis today, talk about the bloodline, but it's, it's, it's the lineage of the rabbi. You have to be affirmed. You have to be taught and then pass their test and affirmed, all right? Jesus goes to the water, and the prophet of the day, the crossover prophet from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the one sent to pave the way says, I am not worthy to tie the, the strings of your shoe. He says, this, I'm not the Messiah, there's one coming. And then he says, I can't baptize you, you need to baptize me. He first affirms that Jesus is who he says he is. That he, And then, what happens next? A voice from heaven says, this 
is my son. Every Jewish person standing by the river that day would have been like, he is who he says he is. Everybody there that day would have realized that this is confirmation of who Jesus is. Next, what was he praying? Well, in another gospel, Jesus is talking about prayer, and it's not the one about the um, Lord's Prayer, although that would work too. He says something to the effect of when you are young or in your youth or when you are a new believer, he's basically talking about new believers. At the beginning of your calling, your ministry, pray for the Holy Spirit, right? He says that at a later time. Watch what happens right here at the beginning of his ministry. When he prays and before he goes under, what happens? The Holy Spirit descends. Did Jesus actually do what he told us to do in the same time he was baptized? Did he pray how he told us to pray and God honors it? Of course he did. This is my son. He sends his spirit and then he sends him as a dove. Why a dove? I always bounced back to the olive branch, the dove, the peace and all that. Nope. As I'm reading this week, I read this, this guy. I don't know who it was. You know, I read this guy and here's what he says. He says, oh, yes, I do. It was John Piper. He says, um, actually, Jesus only mentions the word dove once in his life, one time. And here's the verse. It's in, I think it's Matthew 10, but here's what it says. Innocence of a dove. In that case, it's a dove. So the dove represents the innocence, the perfectious, the blamelessness because in order for him to be the Messiah he was going to be on earth and in heaven, he had to be both God and man, and he had to live without what? Sin. God made him who had no sin to become sin so that we might be righteous. In order for his ministry to be fulfilled, he had to be innocent. And the dove is that representation right here and right now. Ooh. And... This is the part I figured out right in the middle of the message last time. You ready for this? At the end of his ministry, here's what Jesus says in the Great Commission. All authority, stop, look back at the beginning. We needed two voices to give him what? Authority or credibility at the beginning of his ministry. Again, his words at the end of his ministry. All authority where? In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Rewind again. When we get to his baptism, where does his authority come from? One voice where? Here on earth. Where's the other voice come from? Ah! I love the Bible. And we're not even through two verses. Now Jesus himself. Now, Je now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought of Joseph. So it was thought doesn't mean we think. It's not what that means. So it was thought of Joseph is probably a more proper translation, and, and it, we didn't have this in, in, in Greek, but if you, could, if you could bracket that or parenthetical, he was the son, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli, okay? But the lineage is not about Joseph. The lineage is about Jesus. Now we're going to stop. There are 
two genealogies in the scripture, okay? A lot of people who don't believe, a lot of people who like to fight and argue about their belief, like to point to these two pieces of scripture. Because if you'll look at them, they are drastically different, okay? Now, I need, to, I need to be very clear about something. For me, me, in my heart, I got no reason to justify, to acknowledge, or to be concerned about the differences in the two. I don't. I don't need them to match. I don't need them to line up. And I'm going to tell you why I don't. Because I believe that all scriptures God breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And I also believe that if we could weave through and find out all of the things that we need to find out, that they're going to be historically accurate. I believe that with all my heart. Now, there are two ways that theologians try to help people better understand why they're different. And that's what I'm going to say today. If you need help understanding the difference, here are two reasons, and I'm actually going to give you three. Here are two or three reasons why there are some, they're not discrepancies, they're differences, okay? Number one, when we read through this, look, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, in the Greek, the word son is not there. It says basically Mathet of Levi, and the translation in Greek would be of the line of. Of the line of. Knight's Tale? Knight's Tale. Anybody? Knight's Tale? Heath Ledger? One of the best. Just watch Anytime movies. What does he need to compete? And that's why Jeffrey Chaucer comes in. He needs patents of nobility, all right? And you have to present your patents in order to compete. You are not a knight if you don't have the line. This is only for, all right, showing who Jesus was in a historical context, all right? So it is of the line of. It would be way better translated or way help you of the line of. Why? Because some of the differences are not just in name. They're in the difference between son, father, grandfather, great-grandfather. They don't actually go one generation at a time. The question often comes up, can we look at this and back up and know how old the world is because it starts with Adam? Some people ask that question, and the answer is you can't do that. And the reason that you can't do that is you can't look and say there could have been four generations in between. That's not what it was built for. It's not built as a timeline. It's built to connect Jesus to a certain crew of people. In Matthew, the, the, this is also literature, all right, right? So it's got to be written in a very special way, and you do things and move things around in order to make it work, but you cannot tell an untruth. So in Matthew, he, he gives it in three sets of 14. Did you know that? In Matthew, the genealogy is in three sets, and each set has 14 people in it. And in there is buried something very cool. Why? Because, all right, if you look at the important thing that the Jewish people who Matthew was written to needed to know, they needed to know that Jesus came from David. They needed to know Jesus came from Abraham. 
and they needed him to be from Abraham, but for some reason David was more important to them because he was the greatest king that ever lived. He was a man after God's own heart. And like we have social security numbers now to identify us, in the Old Testament they had a, a number system that is called gematria, not the Old Testament, in, 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 in the New Testament, Jewish times, all right? It, it, gematria. And, and that was a number system based on your phonetic name. Okay, so Yahweh, even though we spell it like Y-A-H-W-E-H or Y-A-W-E-H, you know what I'm saying? You, it's really just Y-W-H in Hebrew. You only use the consonants, and you only got a value. Well, the consonants, all right, that show up are D-V-D, all right, D-V-D, all right, 464, which adds up to what? 14. He literally wrote the name of David three times down through the list. All right, 14, 14, 14, and he broke it up like this, 14, and it says it in a verse. There are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the exile to Jesus. It's not a timeline. It's intentional. It's literary, but it always points back to who Jesus was and how those people needed to receive it. Well, we're talking to Theophilus. He needs logic. He needs it all to line out back. So this list is longer, all right? And it goes back further, and the potential is there for two other things, okay? One could have been a familial, a relational list. The other could have been a political or a societal list, what they needed to see in order to know. The other is that we know that you can actually work back from both Mary and Joseph. That is a true statement. And so there are some ideas that, that comma, son of Joseph, the parenthetical, is that we're working back through Joseph and Mary. I'm not saying it's true or not true. I'm giving you ideals. But with this one, we find Abraham for the historical people. Theophilus. We find David for the Jewish people. All right. Then, before I throw this last one down, let me tell you what the story is for you people. Okay. Uh, five years ago, we had a children's thing on Christmas morning. And I just happened to be starting Matthew. All right. And I preached on the genealogy in less than 12 minutes after the kids thing on Christmas morning, all right? And here was the gist, all right? What the genealogy is, is it is the, the, the layout, the red carpet for bringing the greatest gift that has ever come into the world into the world, right? And that line is who he uses and how long it takes to use them to bring Jesus into the world. So, here's the point. In the genealogy, you have kings, and you have paupers. You have religious people, and you have not religious people. People who worship the one true God, and people who worship other gods. You have people who are the right color, according to the people, and... Ruth, people who were not of the same color. They mix it up right in Jesus' line. If you look at the ladies, 
just the ladies, you get a prostitute, a woman who slept with her father-in-law, true story, a Moabite or, you know, somebody who wasn't of the right line, a teenage unwed mother, and Bathsheba, who's not even named because she's the wife of David, and, you know, adultery. Come on. So what does this tell us? What's the message of the genealogy for us? God uses whenever he wants, however he wants, and whoever he wants who is willing. And there is no qualifications. If you are his and you follow him, he can bring Jesus to the world through you. Come on. It is a museum of the Messiah. It is a gallery of his grace. And you should read it with joy. But this one goes back to Adam. Why? I don't know. But I'm going to give you two really cool nuggets before we're done. Nugget number one, it goes all the way back to Adam because Theophilus was that kind of guy, all right? I don't need you to show me any religious reasons. I don't need you to prove to me whether or not it was David. It needs to be Abraham because the Bible says, prophecy speaking wise, if I go back and find it, he will be the father of many nations that will come from your seed and the ram and all of that. It had to, for prophecy to be true, and everyone is, it had to be that way. But it also needs to go back to the beginning for him. I don't need there to be pauses in the timeline that I have to make up. So Luke traces it all the way back to Adam. And then he does something really odd. Son of Adam, son of God. Now, the son of God is Jesus, right? But that's not what it says here. He's not tracing Adam or God to Jesus. He, well, he is all the way through. But the, the, the direct connection here is God to Adam. Why? Because he was God's creation, sure. But I'll do you one better. Only two individuals in history. Only two individuals. In, we are all children of God. Can I get an amen? But we were all birthed by God through a mother and a father, right? Only two people have existed in all of creation that did not. Adam and Jesus. The hand of God formed the one who would be the beginning and the one who would be what? The end. This is the genealogy of the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. And this beautiful, cool, ignored story is the platform off which Jesus jumps into his ministry. Let's pray. Ah. Oh, on my heart is this song. And since I began the ministry he called me to at 17, 18, 19 years old, this was on a disc. And it was sang as one. When, when praise choruses just started being praise choruses and when, when, when Christian music was just writers and, oh God, you are my God and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will, I will seek you in the morning at the beginning of my day. 
and I will learn to walk in your ways, and step by step you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. This journey that we're on has an absolute truth behind it. There is a God, and everything he says and does is true. And everything that has ever been and ever will be is carved out by his hands. And he doesn't ask us to be a part of a quick fix. He simply says, come here. Follow me. And every little thing is going to be all right. God, my heart yearns for a group of people who just follow when you say, come over here. This way, please. I don't know what I, I, I don't know what that put. God, you know my heart. So th that that I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.